Welcome to Word of Life Chapel this morning. A couple of announcements I'd like to share with you as we begin our service. First of all, if you're visiting for the first time, uh, we're, we're welcome to you. We're so glad that you're here. If you could fill out a visitor card and hand it to either Pastor Bob or myself as you leave today, uh, we have something for you. There is no youth group and prayer meeting tonight due to the Memorial Day weekend. Uh, we'd like to recognize our high school and college graduates on Sunday, June 10th. So if you know of any high school or college graduates, please give the names to me and the schools. That way we're able to recognize them on Sunday morning. The bus trip to the Museum of the Bible is June 14th. Reservation forms and full payment are due today. Would you pray with me this morning as we begin our service? God, you're such a good God. And Lord, we are thankful for that. Lord, that we can rest in you, no matter what's going on in the world, that we can rest in you. And Lord, I ask that you would uh, just help us, Lord, to focus on you this morning. Lord, we are so thankful that we have the opportunity to live in the United States of America. Lord, we're so thankful for the freedom. Lord, we know it comes at a cost. Lord, we ask that this morning that you would be glorified in everything that is said and done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We do want to recognize a new member of our congregation this morning, uh, Tina Swigard. Um, we all know Tina. 
Um, we don't have anything written up about her in the bulletin because uh, I think you probably know about her uh, so much already. But here's one thing you might not know. When we started Awana 30 years ago, Tina was one of the very first to start with Awana as one of the leaders. We still do Awana today, 30 years later. She is still doing Awana today. She is the law. <laughs> she is the longest person uh, having worked with Awana in this church, in this church. And so that's quite an accomplishment. So congratulations, Tina. And uh, as you leave this morning, we're going to ask that she stands by the door uh, so that you can extend to her the right hand of fellowship. Leonard is going to come and lead us in O Beautiful for Spacious Skies, hymn number 520. Hymn number 520.
that our first allegiance is to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, but <clears throat> to express our appreciation for living in a land of the free called America, I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we pledge allegiance to our flag. <clears throat> I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, indivisible, undivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you, you may be seated. Memorial Day. Some gave all, but all gave some. And so today, as we prepare for worship, we express our gratitude to all those in our congregation who have served in our nation's military. Your service enables us to enjoy many freedoms, especially the freedom of being able to be here this morning to worship our God. So I want to recognize you if you've been in the military or are in the military, recognize you by asking you to stand. I'm gonna ask you to give to us your name, the branch of service, and maybe any other information you care to share, maybe a war that you were in or a place where you were stationed. So if you are in or were in the military, would you stand now, please? Now let me, let me ask your names, although we probably know them, and um, other information. Denny? <laughs> In the Navy, yes. Larry? Marine Corps. And all right, you may be seated if you're, after you share your, thank you. Uh, Larry? Thank you, and Ted? Thank you, Ted. And Max. I'm Max Foreman, uh, United States Army, uh, Tours in Vietnam. Oh my. Yes, sir. Way in the back. <laughs> my word, were you really? All three branches. Good for you. And Glenn. Thank you, Larry. Oh, interesting. Very well. Dick. Huh, interesting. And Wayne, you just were <laughs> across the seas. Welcome back again. <laughs> thank you. Well, we thank you. We thank you.
Leonard's going to come and lead us again in a patriotic hymn, My Country Tis of Thee, hymn number 525. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we sing this hymn, My Country Tis of Thee. Will you stand? My country tis of thee, sweet land of liberty, of thee I sing. from
sorry, Sharon. If you have your prayer sheet, I would invite you to take it out and uh, let me highlight a couple of folks that we, we find on it. Um, first of all, I just learned this morning that uh, Lisa Miller, John's Lisa, uh, her mom uh, was taken to the hospital in Lancaster uh, with a blood clot. Um, so we want to pray for her this morning. Uh, also, keep Marlene, of course, in your prayers with a knee replacement. Uh, not that long ago, and Drew Ozenbach is now in Lebanon. He took a team over, and uh, he's going to be there for uh, probably five, six weeks um, leading that team. So pray for him, um, one of the missionaries we support with uh, crew. Mary Alice is with us this morning. It's always good to have uh, her with us uh, back from her uh, surgery. She has a note uh, she says to me, addresses it to me, please let everyone know how much I appreciate all the prayers and telephone calls, the visit, visits, and good wishes during my recovery. It is so wonderful to have a church family that cares so much for each other. We really are blessed to have such a wonderful fellowship. Thanks. Thank everyone once again, Mary Alice Young. So good to have her with us this morning, and we thank you for your card, and uh, we will continue to pray uh, for you. Uh, John Hain uh, is on our list under loved ones and friends. Uh, I got a, uh, an email yesterday from Ted, and uh, this is an update on John. Uh, John, as you know, has a tumor. Uh, he began this past week 30 days of consecutive radiation treatment. Um, and they had to stop now uh, his treatment for his leukemia uh, because of that. Um, so we need to keep John in prayer. This is a very, very difficult uh, time for John and Pearl Hain. Um, so keep them in your prayers. 
Ted also wrote that he was a, a Marine veteran in the Korean War. Um, so we want to pray for John this morning. Also, uh, John Strawhecker is back in the hospital with an infection in that same hip uh, that he had an infection before. Um, they actually took out part of the replacement hip and put in something else um, that's going to be in now for six to eight weeks that is targeting the infection area with antibiotics. Um, so then after that period of time, they take that out and put in the new parts for the hip replacement. So John has a long road ahead of him. You know, this has been going on for, well, since 20, he was 21 years old when he was hit by a drunk driver. He has had seven hip replacements already and two knee replacements. So this next one will be the eighth. Uh, so pray for John. He's in the uh, Harrisburg Hospital now as we speak. And again, it's going to be uh, a long journey ahead uh, for John. John's not one who likes to sit still. And so it's going to be very, very difficult for him uh, going through all of this. So Father, as we approach your throne this morning, Father, there are a lot of people who are hurting. A lot of people who, Father, are struggling in the area of, 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 of the body, uh, the physical body. Uh, Father, we do think of Lisa Miller and her mom now uh, being in the hospital at 81 years of age with this blood clot. We, we pray, Lord, that you, would, might, you might touch her and might heal her. Father, we're thankful that you have raised up Mary Alice, that she's doing well. We pray for Marlene. We pray for her therapy and recovery. Uh, Father, we think of John Hain this morning. Uh, Father, now going through these consecutive days of radiation, we pray that it would do what it needs to do uh, to reduce this tumor in the brain. Father, we think of John Strohecker. Uh, Father, and now having this infection once again in the hip area, uh, we pray that this uh, uh, this spacer or whatever has been placed in that hip with the antibiotics would, Father, remove the infection, take away the infection so that they can remove this and put in now the replacement parts so that he can be up and around again, Lord, as he needs to be. So we commit him and Kathy to you. Father, we trust that you, Father, might encourage them I know, Lord, there's going to be days of discouragement, but lift up their spirits, I pray. Father, we thank you for our time this morning. We thank you so much for the men and women, Lord, who gave up the ultimate sacrifice, their lives, so that we might have the wonderful freedoms that we have in this country and the freedom to be able to be here and worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, we think of those that have stood this morning. We think of others, Lord, who we know of, who have been in and are in the service. Again, Lord, continuing to provide us with all that we enjoy in this country. Father, we pray that you might bless these families. Comfort those, Lord, who have lost loved ones. And again, we thank you for the brave men and women, Lord, who have 
given up so much, made so many sacrifices so that we can be a people most blessed. Father, now as we continue this service, Father, open our eyes, help us to see Jesus. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.
by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Praise Him, Lord, above all lords.
You know, I find it very interesting, the men that Jesus chose to be his disciples. Uh, we looked a few weeks ago at a man by the name of Nathaniel. Uh, Nathaniel was a moral man, a spiritual man, a man who Jesus said in him was no deceit, a true Israelite. Everybody loved Nathaniel. He was that good guy. But then on the other side of that coin, Jesus chose Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. Matthew was a thief. Matthew was a robber. He was dishonest and greedy. If everyone loved Nathaniel, everyone hated Matthew. God chose the best of the best, but he also chose the worst of the worst. But it shows the heart of Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus came into this world to seek and save the lost. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. And let's look at this disciple who Jesus chose. Jesus chose him to follow him. Look at Matthew chapter 9, starting at verse 9. As Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. First of all, who is this guy, Matthew? Who is Matthew, the disciple that Jesus called? Well, we know he's a gospel writer. The text that we just read was written by Matthew himself. He wrote this book by his name. It wasn't always his name. When he was born, his parents gave him the name Levi. But when Jesus called him, Jesus changed his name to Matthew, which means gift from God. And he was just that. So Matthew wrote this gospel. 
Someone said it was a book that was written by a Jew to the Jews about a Jew, which was quite true. Matthew was a Jew. He wrote to the Jews about Jesus, who himself was a Jew. But Matthew wasn't just a gospel writer. The Bible says that Matthew was a tax collector. And when Jesus called him and said, follow me, he was sitting at a tax booth. There was no hesitation. It was unlikely that Jesus and Matthew ever crossed paths. Maybe they did. But Matthew must have known something about Jesus to have, without delay, left his booth to follow Jesus. The gospel writer Luke, he actually includes a little bit of more information there in verse 9 where Matthew says, I got up and followed him. Luke says he left everything. Matthew left everything. He burned his bridges behind him. A tax collector. Why are these tax collectors so hated? Remember, Matthew was a Jew, and the tax collector that Matthew was, he worked for the Roman government. And the Roman government would demand of the Jews a certain amount of money. But Matthew, as a tax collector, when he would go to the Jew, he would say, but you owe this amount, and add to what the Roman government demanded. And no one was going to argue with Matthew. He had the Roman government behind him. So the Jews looked at tax collectors as greedy thieves, which they were. They were actually demanding more than the Roman government so that the extra they could put in their own pockets. That's why the Jews considered them thieves and traitors because they were on the Romans' side. So this is who Matthew was. And in the Jewish writings of the early days, tax collectors were associated with thieves and notorious sinners and harlots. They were viewed as an unclean bunch of people. This is what the Jews saw in Matthew. A greedy thief. A traitor. But what did Jesus see? Well, he saw that as well, because that's who Matthew was. Jesus saw his sin. Jesus knew that he was a thief and greedy, but Jesus still chose him. Jesus saw something in this man that he wanted to be with him. Something in Matthew, a gift from God. He saw something in Matthew that others didn't see. And so Jesus says to Matthew, you come and you follow me. And Matthew left everything. You know, we sing that song, no turning back. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. That was the case with Matthew. You know, for Peter and others of, the, of Jesus' disciples who were fishermen, you know, had they decided at some point, you know, we got to go back and to our old occupation, it might have been a bit easier than Matthew. 
very unlikely that Matthew would ever, once leaving the tax-collecting occupation, to ever go back. I mean, he really did burn his bridges behind him. You know, discipleship is costly. It cost Matthew a great deal to leave the booth, to leave his money, to leave all of that, to walk with Jesus. Matthew actually writes over in chapter 8, he writes these words, and he understood these words. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 19, it says this, a teacher of the law came to him, that is to Jesus, and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Pretty bold words, are they not? I will follow you wherever you go. And this is Jesus' reply. Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You want to follow me? Then this is what's required. Because if you're going to walk with me and follow me, there may be places where there's no place to lay your head. And another disciple decides to come to Jesus and says, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. What Jesus is stressing here are the radical demands of discipleship. You really want to follow me? Then this is what's required. Matthew, you come and you follow me. And Matthew chose to do just that. And Luke tells us he left everything. He left everything behind to follow Jesus. So Matthew leaves his booth, he leaves his money, and then what he decides to do, Matthew, is throw a party. Now that I'm a disciple of Jesus's, now that I'm following this man, he decides to throw this great banquet and invite his friends to come in honor of Jesus. Who are the friends of Matthew? Now you think about that. <laughs> Who would Matthew invite to a dinner party in honor of Jesus? Who are his buddies? Well, tax collectors, of course, and this is probably somewhat of a, a tax collector's convention. They're all there at this party. But it also states sinners, which probably includes the drunkards, the prostitutes of the day, the robbers, the thieves, these notorious sinners. Can you imagine Matthew having this party, inviting all of his guests, all of his buddies, all of his friends to come. And I believe when it says sinners, it's referring to publicly known sinners. Everybody knows these people. They know what they do. They know, know who they are. They're really bad people. You know, the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And that's true. None of us meet the standard of God to be holy as, as he is holy. 
these who came to Matthew's party, these who came to this dinner, they were really, really bad people, as Matthew was. Matthew was in the same group. But he invites these dinner guests. And who else is there? Jesus. The disciples that he already called. Can you imagine this group of people all coming together? The disciples of Jesus, Jesus himself, and then all of these notorious sinners all coming together for a meal. You know, later in the book of Matthew, and he states it in chapter 11, uh, let me read it to you. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 19, it says this, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Jesus was thought by others to be a sinner, to be a glutton, to be a drunkard, because he hung out with these kinds of people. Now, we can only guess what took place at this party, how wild it must have gotten. Remember who's there. They're not upright people. They are immoral people. Now, we know Jesus was sinless. We know, of course, that you know, Jesus didn't do anything that was inappropriate. We know that. But he was there among all of that. But there was a group of people who were uninvited. These I just mentioned were all the invited. But there were some who were uninvited. Some who looked down their noses at Jesus for his behavior. That he should go to such a place as Matthew's house. And this group was, they were called the Pharisees. We don't know that they went actually into the house. Maybe they stood outside somewhere in the courtyard. But the Pharisees look at this party. They see Jesus hanging out with the scum of the earth. You know what Pharisee means? It means separated ones. They were the separated ones. They were the ones who kept their distance. We ought not even be close to those like the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the drunkards and the sinners. We keep our distance. And so they come to Jesus' disciples. They don't go directly to Jesus. They go to the disciples of Jesus and they ask a question. Why is it that your teacher why is it that Jesus, your master, is so cozy around these crooks? Why is it that Jesus is in this house? What kind of example is that for anyone? And yet it was a pretty good example. You know, the Bible says we're not to be of this world but we're certainly to be in the world, right? We're to be in this world, not to be of this world. We're not to act like sinners. We're not to act immorally. 
But that doesn't mean we withdraw. That doesn't mean we keep our distance. How else are sinners to hear the gospel except that Christians go to them? And Jesus knows that. Jesus knows he needs to go here to this party. But these Pharisees, rather than complain to Jesus, they complain to the disciples. You know, these Pharisees, they're always very quick looking for some way we can trap Jesus. If we can get, just get Jesus to do something wrong, then we've got him. If we could just look through this door into the house of Matthew and see Jesus doing what these sinners are doing, then we got him. So they go to the disciples and they ask the question, why is he here? Why is he sitting down associating himself with these kinds of people? What kind of example is Jesus setting? The Pharisees, we know, were very judgmental. When we looked at the sayings of Jesus, the hard sayings of Jesus, uh, a few months ago, we, we looked at that illustration that Jesus gave to the Pharisees. You look at others with a little speck, a little piece of sawdust in their eye. And if you look in a mirror, you'd see the big plank in your own eye. The Pharisees, they were a self-righteous group, an arrogant group, a group who was always looking at others, judging others, never, ever looked in the mirror at themselves. Had they done that, they would have seen some awful, awful things. I think sometimes when we hear of people who criticize others, it's so that they might somehow minimize their own sin. I find that often to be the case, that the most critical really have the most things going on deep within their heart. Because if I can put you down, then I can lift myself up. And I don't have to look at the evil and wickedness in myself. If I can just criticize you, and I can talk about that speck, that piece of sawdust, then I don't have to see the plank in my own eye. And here are the Pharisees, this self-righteous group who come to the disciples and say to them, look at Jesus. Look what he's doing. Why does he do what he's doing? But Jesus' approach was an approach of love. Jesus was a man of great compassion. Never condoning sin, no, 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 we know that. Jesus would often say, now you go, but sin no more. Jesus didn't approve of everything he saw at that party, but he was there. He was there. He loved people. He had compassion toward these notorious sinners. He always has a way, Jesus, of turning the tables on the Pharisees, doesn't he? <laughs> the Pharisees always think they're like one step above Jesus. But Jesus is always listening, always seeing, 
And he's always able to somehow take the table and just turn it around. And that's what he does here. He's going to expose the pettiness and the hypocrisy of these Pharisees. Jesus, he never misses a thing. And so in answer to the question that was asked by the Pharisees, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? This is what Jesus says in verse 12. On hearing this, <laughs> Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. This is a three-part response to the question that the Pharisees raised. Why does Jesus eat with sinners and task? Why does he do that? The first thing he speaks of is health. Health. You know, we might expect Jesus to say to these Pharisees, you self-righteous men, you arrogant people, we might expect Jesus to say that. We might expect Jesus to call them hypocrites. You need to accept people as they are. You judge mental people. And Jesus often said that to them, didn't he? He often said that to the Pharisees. Woe, you Pharisees, you, you hypocrites. But Jesus says this. The healthy they don't need the doctor. It's the sick who need a doctor. When do you visit the doctor's office? Not when you're healthy, but when you're sick. And Jesus, I believe, in this first statement, this first reply, is he's calling the lifestyle of the tax collectors unhealthy. I believe as he looks around that room, he sees a lot of unhealthy people, a lot of sinful people. Their lifestyle is just filled with wickedness and evil, and he's calling them out. Their occupation of selfishness and greediness and robbery. These people, they need a doctor. And Jesus is that. Jesus is the great spiritual doctor the physician that is able to bring healing to those who have fallen. And I think Jesus also in this is, uh, is saying this, the only way they can be healed is for me to be willing to be with them. I must be with these people if they are going to be healed of their spiritual diseases. And so Jesus calls them. I, you know, I was thinking as I was studying this, I thought, I wonder what Matthew's thinking at this point. <laughs> Remember, he's, well, just was a tax collector. It's probably only hours ago that he was sitting at his booth. And Jesus is calling him out. Matthew, you're, you were leading this unhealthy lifestyle. And Matthew, I am the doctor that has come to help. The Pharisees, again, are separatists. They're 
thinking was just keep our distance. We're going to stay back. We don't want to be around the wicked and the evil because they might influence us. Jesus says, I want to be with them so I can influence them. Remember Zacchaeus, the wee little man who climbed up in the sycamore tree? Remember his occupation? What was his occupation? Tax collector. Zacchaeus was one of those evil, evil, greedy men. And Jesus sees him sitting up in this tree because he, he couldn't see very well, being a short guy. And what does Jesus do? He says, I must come and stay with you at your house. Jesus understands the importance of being with sinners to influence them, to heal them. As a doctor heals physically, Jesus heals spiritually. I can only imagine Matthew's thinking. Did Jesus just say, I'm unhealthy? Did he just say, I'm one of the sick? Maybe I need some help. Maybe I need the healing and saving that Jesus brings. You know, the first step that everyone needs as being a follower of Jesus is to admit you're sick, right? You'll never admit your need for a Savior until you admit that you're sick and filled with sin. When you admit that you have fallen short, when you admit that you have violated God's laws, when you admit that you have not kept God's standard. That's when you reach out for help. And so the first step to salvation is to admit, to repent of sin, to change your ways. Jesus came to be the great physician to sick sinners. Jesus spoke of health, but then he speaks in verse 13 of mercy. The second part of Jesus' response is mercy. I desire mercy. And he's quoting from Hosea 6.6 back in the Old Testament. Back in the Old Testament in Hosea's day, the people were, were heavy on religious tradition, but not very good with mercy. Heavy on tradition, short on mercy. They would go to the temple. And they would offer all kinds of sacrifices, but show little mercy to people around them. And so Jesus said, listen, I would rather you show mercy than to do the work of rituals. I would rather you be kind to people. He's speaking to the Pharisees now. I would rather you be kind and show mercy to those around you rather than to go through all the tradition and ritual that you go through. Remember when Gary Sims was here last week? I remember something he said about young girls. I forget whether that was here or over in the fellowship hall. He said how nasty girls, young girls can be toward one another, backbiting. And you know, when, I, when I heard that, I thought, you know, the heart, it's deceitful. The Bible says, and desperately, desperately wicked. Not just young girls, but young boys and old girls and old boys and old men and old ladies. And, you know, we're all desperately wicked. There's something in all of us that 
you know, it's just, it's just not right. And sometimes we get nasty. Sometimes we criticize. Sometimes we're judgmental. Sometimes we backbite. Sometimes we don't show a lot of mercy. Sometimes we're not just really kind people toward each other, especially the household of faith. Ought we not be the kindest people in the world toward one another? And loving? And that's what Jesus is saying. I desire mercy. I desire mercy rather than sacrifice. But then Jesus spoke of something else. He spoke of mission. At the very end of this response, he says, For I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. I don't think he's referring here to the party. <laughs> he's not saying, I came to this party necessarily, although he did. But I think this is, he, Jesus is saying, this is why I came to earth. This, was my, this is my mission in life. My mission in coming from heaven to earth and becoming flesh. My mission is not to call the righteous, those who think they're righteous, as the Pharisees thought they're righteous, but I have come to call the sinners. Of which the tax collectors were sinners. They were greedy. They were selfish. The Pharisees, they were sinners as well. They were arrogant. They were self-righteous. They were hypocrites. Both groups, both groups needed salvation because all have sinned and fallen short. Both groups are flawed and wicked and evil. And that's why Jesus came. He came to seek and save the wicked. He came to seek and save the flawed. He came to seek and save the lost. And if his mission was that, the mission of his disciples is that as well. You who have been called, you who admitted your sin and trusted Jesus as your Savior, you now as one of Jesus' followers and disciples, you have the same mission as Jesus. Jesus says, I'm leaving. And he did. He went back to be with his father at the father's right hand. But he says, I'm leaving you here. You now are my ambassadors. You now must go into this lost and evil and sinful world. You now are my disciples. And you must be like me. Go to where they are. You must live in this world, not be of this world, but live in this world. But we often do not like to admit that we're a lot like the Pharisees. I'm going to keep my distance. I don't want to get too close to that group, that bunch. We don't like to admit we're a lot like the Pharisees. We want to be separatists. When the Bible says be separate from the world, it doesn't mean get out of the world. 
It means don't do what the world does, but live in the world where the gospel needs to be preached. Sometimes we think people are beyond redemption. That person could never trust Christ. As evil as he is, the things he says at work, the things he does, there's no grace for him. But aren't these the very ones who Jesus went and had dinner with? Not to be influenced, but to be an influence. And we are in this world to be an influence, to show the love of Jesus, to share the gospel of Christ. We discount a lot of people. We give up sometimes on others. Jesus never did. Jesus loved people he showed compassion to people, and we as followers of his, we must do the same. At the very end of Matthew's gospel, in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus took Matthew, this disciple, along with the other disciples, took him up on the mountain. And these were the final words that Jesus gave to Matthew and the other disciples. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This was their commission. This is our commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for the example of Jesus. Sometimes, Father, we cringe at the places that Jesus visited, the people he was around. But, Father, he knew that it was through him that brings salvation and healing. Now, Father, our commission is to go and do the same, to bring people to Jesus. So I pray, Lord, that you would help us. Help us, Lord, to be out there in the world, but not be of the world. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hymn number 487, um, on the heels of a missionary conference, uh, here's another one of those great uh, missionary hymns that we often sing when missionaries come, or at the end of sermons such as this one. So let's stand and we'll sing this together. All power is given unto me, all power is given unto me. Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel, and lo, I am with you always.
But Father, help us to do just that. Father, it's what we've been called to do. It's why, Lord, you came to save us, to seek and save the lost. So, Father, I pray that we might be about our Father's business, that of sharing and spreading the gospel of Jesus. Father, we thank you for this good day. I pray, Lord, that you might bless it, and that, Father, you might help us to go and walk in your footsteps. Father, we are followers of yours, disciples of yours. You are our master. Help us to go and be like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Letting go of that the same gold dream.